Well, good morning again, Connections, and so glad to have all of you here on this uh, beautiful Sunday in October. And I don't know about you, but I've had enough winter already, right? One single morning in the 40s. Uh, is, is plenty. Let's get back to uh, summertime. Uh, me and Angel, I know, agree on that, and a few others of you like the, the heat. So, uh, But I guess we're, we're in for at least a couple of months of cooler weather, so we'll have to endure that. But welcome again. Grab your Bibles. Uh, get them out, ready to follow along. We're going to be mainly in Luke 16, but we're going to be in several other different passages. If you were not here last week, we uh, began a, a segment of our I Believe study on heaven and hell. And as I told you up front, and early on last week, wasn't going to be able to cover nearly all of it last week, so we would extend that into this week. And, and, and last week, uh, Jesus himself talked about the realities of heaven and hell in Luke 16 that I just mentioned. Uh, in the account of the poor man named Lazarus and the rich man who both died and the rich man goes to hell and Lazarus goes to Abraham's bosom and a good question came up uh, as far as what is Abraham's bosom or presence as it's also called. Uh, that's the heaven before Jesus came to earth, lived and died and raised again on the third day and went to prepare the heaven that we are headed towards as God's people. So that was the place that that the Old Testament saints uh, went to and, and, and were ready to go to uh, be with Jesus when he came. So, so two very real destinations that we clearly identified and talked about last week and, and, and Jesus tells us about that awaits every single person of humanity that ever lives. So this morning we're going to finish our look on hell and then we're going to look at heaven and end on some good news. Everybody say good news. Turn to somebody and say, I like good news. Now, we left off talking about the fact that Satan blinds the eyes. And again, if you missed last week, go back and check it out. There's no way I can go back and recap everything. But we, we, were, we were at the point of talking about Satan blinds the eyes of so many to God's love and the life that he has to offer every single person. And also the fact that hell is a very real place. And then picking up with that this morning, we want to jump back in from the passage of Scripture. And we learned several things that, that are there about hell as we finish that part up. And first of all, we find out that it is a place of torment. And if you're taking notes, write that down. Where you, you, you It's not going to be a place where you sit around, socialize, have fun. I, I remember growing up in the rock and roll scene and enjoying all that, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, party life, atmosphere, all that kind of mentality. And I remember hearing people literally say, man, I can't wait to get to hell. It's going to be the greatest party of all. All the, the partiers are going to be there in one place and we're going to just have a have a blast. And I thought to myself, dude, you have no clue, no idea. Even when I was out living that kind of life, I knew that was nothing of the truth that, that was there. So it's a place of agony and utter despair. The rich man's torment was so intense that he believed that a single drop of water might bring him a little bit of relief. So please believe me when I say this, that hell is a place you do not want to go. Nor is it a place that you want any of your loved ones, friends, or family members to go to. Nor is it a place that you should want anybody, anyone at all, to go to. D does that sink into you this morning? That it is a place that we should, no matter if we call him our worst enemy. How many of you have a worst enemy? <laughs> a little hesitant to raise that hand, aren't you? Let me ask you this. Jesus' call to us is to love those who persecute us. 
to love those who hate us, that we would consider our worst enemy. So we don't even want to wish hell on our worst enemy. As a matter of fact, are we praying for our worst enemy? That's a whole other message, but man, that, that's powerful. So it's a place that no one should go to, and we should not want anyone to go to. I believe like this account that if you end up in hell, one of the first things that you're going to start thinking about is your friends and your family. You would think something like this, just like the rich man did. If only I could go back and warn them. If I could just go back and tell them, turn your life over to Jesus Christ. And that's exactly how the rich man pleaded to, to, to be able to go back and just let me warn them. Somebody warn my brothers about this horrendous place. Yet Abraham knew it would do no good because as it says, continuing on in that, that passage, Abraham said unto him, they have Moses and they have the prophets. Let them hear them. In our modern day vernacular, it would be like, hey, they have preachers. They have teachers. They have Sunday school teachers who teach them the word. They have Bible preachers and teachers who, who teach them and preach them to them about the coming of the Lord. And they still will not heed those. And he said to them, if they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be persuaded, though one rose from the dead. Think about that. How powerful is that? Abraham literally tells him, man, it wouldn't do any good. If they will not believe now, then I'm telling you, they are not going to believe even if somebody came back from the dead and told them this truth. How tragic is that? If you won't believe God's word, then you're not going to believe somebody who comes back from the dead. Listen, church, that is a powerful, powerful statement that should hit us in, in a certain way. And that way is that, that should, should cause us to, to understand how, number one, how beautiful and powerful God's word and God's truth is. And number two, just how stubborn, look at me, how stubborn people can be. To the point that if even a miracle happened and, and, and this rich man were able to be granted one last excursion here on earth to go back and warn his brothers... Or even the poor man, let, let Lazarus go from your bosom and let him warn them coming back from the dead. It still wouldn't convince them of what he's trying to convey. Powerful. Who goes to hell? I mean, we've probably told a few people to do that, right? <laughs> Not all of you in here are saints. I understand that. Some of us have some checkered pasts. And I said us because I'm right there with you. But literally, who does go to hell? I mean, you might be wondering that exact thing right now. What type of person goes to hell when they die? And the answer to that question can be easily found in Psalm 9, verse 17, where it says this, The wicked shall be turned into hell, and all the nations that, mm, get this, forget God. And the amazing thing is, is, is there's a couple of different types of, uh, types of forgetting. One type is, man, it just slipped my mind. I just forgot about it. I, I mean, I, I, I meant to do that. I had good intentions. I, you know, I got caught up in life. And, and God, I forgot all about you. Who You are the author of life, the giver of life. And, and the one that I should submit my life to and surrender to and walk in, 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 in relationship with you. But I forgot because I was so, so drawn away and enticed and consumed by other things. And then there's just a will for forgiveness. A willful declaration. I forget you, man. I, I don't want anything to do with you. I am controlling my own life. I am going to be the master of my destiny, so to speak, and the captain of my ship. And forget you, God. 
And I believe those are the different ways that we can take in this life when it comes to forgetting about God as Psalm 9 verse 17 says here. The wicked shall be turned into hell and all the nations that forget God. Believer, there is only one characteristic that dooms a person to hell. And that is wickedness. That's it in a nutshell. But the, the thing about it is when we, when we hear that term wickedness, when we, when we think about that, he, it, there's a lot of things that come to mind, a lot of horrific things that come to mind. Like, man, that, that is so wicked. That's so evil. That's so terrible. And I'm not even going to go down the list, but we all know. And the reason why we know so well is because we hear them every single day in our local newscasts. We read about them on our sources, on our tablets, on our phones, or whatever way. We look at news and hear of national news and local news. The horrendous things that people are doing one to another. But it's no, no secret. It's no different than it, than it has been throughout the history of mankind. Because that's why the Lord had to kind of destroy everything and start all over with the flood and with Noah and all that. Because there was such great wickedness upon the land that it grieved his heart. That's why Sodom and Gomorrah was destroyed because of the wickedness. Nothing else that modern day translators want to sell you on to try to sweeten it up a little bit. No, it was the wickedness and the depravity that was going on in that great city. So we automatically think about that. But here's something I want you to think about that I think will kind of blow your mind in a sense and turn your world upside down. Wickedness takes many forms as I've just mentioned, but the most prevalent is this, if you're writing notes, unbelief. I mean, let that sink in. An unbelieving heart in God, in his promises, in his word, in his power, in his presence, in his majesty, in his person. Who God is. Jireh. So many other names of God that, that represent so many characteristics of our loving, great, creative, almighty, all-knowing, all-seeing, omnipresent, everything that God is. So many things that we unbelieve, we do not believe, we refuse to believe in him as the God of all that is. An unbelieving heart is a wicked heart. Hebrews 3 verse 12 tells us, And walking in unbelief is walking in wickedness. Rebellion against God is wickedness, church. And please don't walk away thinking, I, I, I don't want to hear this. I, I can't deal with this heavy stuff. As we talked about last week, man, this is the heavy stuff of church, of Christianity, of faith, of life. But it's too late because if you have heard this message, if you have heard this truth of God's word, then you are now responsible before God for what you have heard. Amen? For all of us. Hopefully, if you haven't already, you will make a decision to make Jesus Christ Lord of your life. And if you do, the Bible promises us we will spend eternity saying, thank you, Jesus, that I made heaven and I missed hell. Amen? That's what it's all about. So what about location? Location is very important, especially in real estate. And so it begs the question, where is hell? Now, as we just read, the Bible declares the wicked shall be turned into hell. But where is this place called hell? Isaiah 14, 9 tells us that hell from beneath is moved for you to meet you at your coming. It stirs 
up the dead for you, even all the chief ones of the earth. It has raised up from their thrones all the kings of the nations. And notice the phrase at the beginning of that verse, hell from beneath. The Bible states repeatedly that hell is located under the earth or at the center of the earth. It's a literal place with an actual physical location. When I was growing up and we used to like digging, digging holes in the backyard and playing army men and all that stuff. And we would dig out bunkers and stuff. Parents used to say, hey, if you keep digging too deep, you're going to get to China. Which is not hell, but it's probably not far from it the way they live down there. And I'm talking about communism and, and the reign of terror that goes on and the persecution of the saints and anybody that tries to have faith in Jesus Christ, if they find out, they put you to death. So I'm not trying to belittle a country, but I'm talking facts. So the Bible tells us that hell is below, it's beneath, it's this place that, that's, that's at the center of, of the earth or, or down underneath us somewhere. It's a real place. But for some, it's going to surprise you to discover that it wasn't originally intended for man. Because scripture tells us that hell was created as a place for fiery punishment for the devil and the angels who chose to go into rebellion with him when he turned his back against God. God never intended for us to go to hell. However, he, you can choose to go there if you want to. God will not override our free will. We can follow Satan and his demonic horde all the way to hell if we choose to. And that is the power that we have in our hands and in our hearts. To choose how we're going to live, not only in the life that we know in the here and now, but in the life that is to come soon. Where are we going to end up? What is our location going to be? The Bible even talks about you can make a covenant with hell. A covenant is a solemn binding agreement or contract as unlikely as it may sound. The, the word of God says some people have made such a pact with hell itself. In Isaiah 28 15 it says because you have said we have made a covenant with death and with hell are we at agreement? Listen you make a covenant with hell by the way you choose to live your life and what you choose to do with your life. It's possible to live in such a way as to say, hell, save me a spot. I'm on my way. Man, that should wake, wake, wake people up. That should just get our attention and stop us in our tracks. But the good news is this. The covenant can be broken. You can break it right now. We don't have to end up in hell. There is no need to spend eternity separated from God. So as we, we head toward, towards a conclusion, conclusion, let's take a closer look before we finish with what heaven is all about. Now, I, I know it's not pleasant to take a hard look at, at such a grim place that we've just walked through. And we're going we're gonna to look at what heaven's all about in just a minute. But there, there are three quick things that I want to tell you as, as we make this move from hell to heaven. How many of you know that's a good move? Tell your neighbor, that's, that's the right move. First of all, understand this clearly before we get to the heaven aspect of this morning and finish out. First of all, hell is a place of sorrow. 2 Samuel 22, 6 says, The sorrows of hell compassed me about. The snares of death prevented me. Make no mistake about it. Hell is a place of unending, gut-wrenching sorrow. Sorrow for missed opportunities to surrender to Jesus Christ. Sorrow that comes when a human soul is separated from God for all of eternity. Number two, Hell is a place of captivity. 
Therefore, my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge, and their honorable men are famished, and their multitude dried up with thirst. Therefore, hell hath enlarged herself and opened up her mouth with measure, and their glory and their multitude and their pomp, and he that rejoices shall descend into it, and the man shall, um, and, the, and the mean man shall be brought down, and the eyes of the lofty shall be humbled. Isaiah 5, 13 through 15. I'm telling you, it's a place of captivity. And I don't know about you, maybe you've spent some time in, in jail, in prison. Maybe you've been trapped at home and, and in this time of, of, of disease and sickness and COVID and, and, and corona and whatever name they want to give it this week and whatever new rules they want to put out. I mean, people, you've got to stay at home. You've got you to quarantine. You've got you to stay away from everybody for weeks and weeks and days and days and, and don't go out and don't do anything and don't go to work and don't go to Walmart and don't go to, to your, your, your ball games or anything else. Don't go to church and on and on and on. Those of you who are like me, I think that is worse than being sick itself. Being trapped somewhere, being told, you've got to stay put. You can't get out. You've got to be confined to your home. And if your family is there and they haven't got it and you've had it, then more than being confined to your home, they want to confine you to a room, right? Some of them want to put you out in the storage building, out in the backyard, far away from them, and lock you up and bring you some meals and water at the door and leave it there so you don't open up and get them sick in getting it. Captive. Trapped. I've said it before, I hate getting caught on a snow day or an icy day at home and not being able to get out and go do something. I like to go do stuff. I like to be out and about and, and active. Being trapped somewhere just messes with my head not that I don't love my family they are amazing I enjoy spending time with them but I got to get out the reality of being captive for eternity does nothing for me the last thing I want to give you about hell is that we need to be aware that hell is a Certainty for all those who reject God's offer of love and grace and salvation through Jesus Christ. For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell and delivered them into chains of darkness, not to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an example unto those who after should live ungodly and delivered just lot, vexed with filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of the temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. Second Peter 2, 4-9 through 9 tells us hell is a certainty. If God didn't permit you to reject his offer of salvation and go to hell he would owe Sodom and Gomorrah, an apology. Listen to me clearly and do not miss this. God is love. He is. Complete love. I mean, who else is going to love you enough to say, here is this gift. Look at me this morning. Here is this precious gift called life. I give it to you. You didn't earn it. You didn't create it. You didn't 
build yourself inside your mama's womb. You didn't put your hair on your head. You didn't put your, your arms in place. You did nothing of that to help put you here. Yet I created you. I breathed life into you. I gave you everything that you would need to live this life powerfully, beautifully, wonderfully, and successfully. Yet I also gave you a choice to love me and walk with me or reject me. How amazing is that? So God is love. Never, never doubt that. Never question that. But God is also just. And that if all the wicked of the earth were destroyed in the time of Noah, what makes us think that we can live any way we want to live and escape what lies ahead? That's the destiny of all who reject Jesus Christ. Please don't do that. Do not reject him. I love the words of Deuteronomy chapter 30 verse 19. And I, I, I lean on these heavily and have for years. The Bible says in this passage, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. That I have set before you life and death. This is God talking to us, his people. I mean, not only in this moment in time when this was prophesied and written down, when heaven breathed this and birthed this word thousands of years ago, not only for those folks at that moment in that day, but also for us all these thousands of years later, this is his word to us, his prophetic word, his life-giving word to us. He says, I call heaven and earth to record this day against you. That's talking about today, church, right now. God is recording this day. And here's what he says, I have set before you life and death, blessing and cursing. In other words, we can choose to live the life of blessing in God in relationship with him, or we can choose to live our life accursed, which is, God, I thanks, but no thanks. I reject you. I turn my back against you. I walk away from you. That's the choice we have, to walk in his favor, his blessing, or a curse. Then he finishes it this way, church. Therefore, choose life. <laughs> Choose life that both you and your family, your children may live. What a powerful promise that God makes to every single one of us. What do we choose? We've got the choice of hell that is there that we've talked about. But let's finish today by talking about the reality of heaven for just a few moments. That's the other side, other side of the coin now. Now that we've looked squarely at the horror of hell, let's catch a glimpse of the glory of heaven. Capturing the reality of where and what that is all about. The Bible has a lot to say about heaven. No one passage of scripture is going give to us, give us a complete picture. Yet when we look at the whole scope of God's word, a very clear image of the heavenly kingdom begins to emerge. It's a picture that once we get a hold of it, will change our lives forever. Ecclesiastes talks about this place called heaven in, in chapter 5 verse 2 where it says be not rash with your words and let not your heart be hasty to utter any things before God for God is what in heaven write that down in your notes God is in heaven and you upon the earth therefore let your words be few 
Now, I'm not talking about what, what this is talking about as far as the language, the words, speaking, you know, false words, speaking careless words, that kind of stuff. That's kind of at the heart of this. But what I'm talking about here is that at the center point of that verse, it tells us clearly God is where? God is in heaven. That is his location. That's where he, he lives and, and reigns. It may seem elementary, but the first thing we need to know about heaven is that is where God dwells. The king and creator of the universe makes his home in heaven. It is also the seat of his government where everything flows from. It is where you will find his throne. Isaiah 66, 1 says, thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne and the earth is my what? My footstool. <laughs> I always see that picture of me kicking back in the living room, sitting in my easy chair. When my feet kicked up. God is there. God is here. Heaven is the primary realm of God's angels as well. Mark 13, 32. But of that day and that hour, no, no man. No, not the angels which are in heaven either. So, talking about the second coming of Jesus. That, that, that nobody knows when that's going to take place. Not even the angels. And it tells us that they are in heaven also. Don't ever doubt this church. Heaven is a real place. It's not just fantasy. It's not just make-believe. It's not just some dreamland. It's not just something that somebody conjured up many, many thousands of years ago to give people some kind of false hope. No, it's real. Heaven is real. There have been books. There's been accounts. There's been people that died, and they went to heaven, but they, they didn't stay. The Lord said, nope, I'm not finished. And they come back, but they caught a glimpse of it. Heaven is real, and for those who try to discount that, they will have a heavy price to pay for their false words. A place more solid and more substantial than this very room that we're sitting in right now. Don't let Hollywood's images of some ethereal, wispy place, color, or our concept of heaven. It is a real place just as surely as earth is a real place also. 2 Corinthians 5.1 tells us as God's people to get ready for a transformation. Uh, that this verse says, for we, we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle, meaning what? What is this tabernacle? Our body. Nudge your neighbor on the shoulder and say that, that's what it's all about right there. He says, if this earthly house, this tabernacle, meaning our bodies were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made with hands, eternal in where? In the heavens. 2 Peter 1, 13 and 14 says, Yea, I, I think it, it meet as long as I am in this tabernacle, this body, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance, knowing that shortly I must put off this tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ has shown me. Philippians 3, 20 and 21. For our conversation is in heaven, from where also we look for the Savior, our Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body, that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body, according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things under himself. Now listen, all these above scriptures I just read to you illustrate the important point that one day, everyone who calls on the name of Jesus Christ is going to shed this old body. We're going to do away with it. And the older I get, the more you have heard me talk about, thank God that one of these days we're going to move from this old temporary house to a house not made by hands that will never hurt, never sorrow, never be in pain, never be diseased. Look at me. It will be perfect. We were playing our church softball game Tuesday night. And they had me in the outfield where I have loved and played for many, many years because as you can tell, I'm not the tallest. 
I'm not the biggest muscular-wise, but one thing I've always had is wheels. I could run like there was no tomorrow. And man, I'm in the outfield, I'm feeling good at 54, like, yeah, I can still do this. The pitch goes in, this cat hits a bomb to, to center field between me and Pastor Scott. We out there, the old guys representing, right, P. Scott? And I knew it's in the gap. And my instinct kicks in, and I take to turn quick and start filling that gap and going after that ball. And soon as I did, man, my hamstring just whoop. And I'm hobbling, but I'm going after it. And I almost got it, got it on first bounce, grabbed the ball, and I said, Scott. And I tossed it over to him because I couldn't make the turn quick enough. He grabbed it and throws it in and holds him to a double, I think. And after that, I'm walking off the field. <laughs> and I mean... I mean, walk, barely walking. Angie was nice enough to say, Pastor, I'll put you on my shoulder, carry you off the field. I said, Angie, if I do that, you might as well just kill me. <laughs> What's it going to look like, our young lady carrying your old pastor on her shoulders off the ball field? That, that's not right. And I'm thinking the whole time, Jesus, I can't wait for that new body. <laughs> this leg ain't going to hurt. Nothing's going to be in pain. My knees are going to be made new. Everything is going to be right. Somebody said, Pastor, you think you'll be able to preach Sunday? I said, heck yeah. Think you'll need crutches? I said, no. Gonna power through the pain. We're getting new bodies. I mean, it's amazing to think about the transformation that's going to take place, the change that's going to happen. Well, we put away this old and we walk into the newness of life. That, listen to me again, and this is just hard to even grab a hold of, I know, but it's going to last forever. Never to wear out, never to know pain, never to know sorrow. The hurts, the broken hearts. I'm talking stuff beyond the physical pains of, of tearing a hamstring or, or having a, a migraine or, or, or just being sick with COVID or, or cancer ravishing our body. I'm talking about beyond that stuff, the physical stuff that we deal with in these old temples right now, these old, these old tents that we live in. I'm talking about even the, the, the knowledge of knowing that. We're going to be whole forever and perfect in every other way, never to end. What a glorious thing that's going to be. As, as Paul wrote, we are going to be just like Jesus when we see him. Perfect, whole, complete. Uh, what, what does heaven look like? Because we're going to be different, right? We're going to be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. We're going to put off this old and take on the new as we just walk through. The Bible has this amazing description in Revelation 21, and that's, that's right there near the end, folks. It's, it's kind of culminating in here's everything we talked a couple of weeks ago uh, back in our, our previous study about, about the coming of the Lord and, and how that's going to change and, and transform everything. And we've got so much to look forward to, but, but where's this place called heaven? What's it going to look like? And, and there's this amazing blueprint of this place called heaven, that, that John the Revelator writes down in Revelation 21. Let me just start reading this, this description. It's going to be just a few moments, but it's going to be well worth it. John writes, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great and high mountain. And he showed me that great city, the holy Jerusalem, descending out of heaven from God, having the glory of God and her light was like unto a stone most precious, even like a jasper stone, clear as crystal. 
and had a, a wall great and high and had 12 gates and at the gates 12 angels and names written thereon which are the names of the 12 tribes of the children of Israel. And on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates, and the west three gates. Some of you love symmetry and there you go. And the wall of the city had 12 foundations and in them the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. And he that talked with me had a golden reed to measure the city and the gates thereof and the wall thereof. And the city lieth foursquare, and the length is as large as the breadth. And he measured the city with the reed, 12,000 furlongs. The length and the breadth and the height of it are equal in the measure of the wall thereof. And 140 and four cubics according to the measure of a man, that is of the angel. Now here's where it gets really good. And the building of the wall of it was of jasper, and the city was pure gold, like unto clear glass. And the foundations of the wall of the city were garnished with all manner of precious stones. And the first foundation was jasper, the second sapphire, the third chalcedony, and the fourth an emerald, and the fifth seraphix, and the sixth sardius, and the seventh crystallite, and then not crystallite, but crystallite, and, and the eighth beryl, and the ninth topaz, and the tenth seraphosis, and the, and the eleventh jacinth, and the twelfth amethyst. And I got half those names wrong, okay? And the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Every several gate was of one pearl. And the street of the city. Here it is, church. What are the streets of the city? Pure gold. Not just gold that's got some contaminant in it, but pure gold. As it were, transparent glass. Unlike anything I believe we, we have ever seen down here on this, this planet. And I saw no temple therein. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple. In other words, there's no church building. Why? Because we're going to have church with the King of Kings and the Lord of Glories right around the throne of God. There'll be no need to get up in the morning and come to Connections Church, man. We are going to be home with Jesus around the throne of God Almighty himself. I love that. For the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are the temple of it. And the city had no need of the sun, neither of the moon to shine in it. For the glory of God did light it up. And the Lamb is the light of heaven thereof. We'll need no light in that city that John saw coming down. For Jesus will be there and his glory will abound, as the old song of the church says. Church, I don't know about you, but... This is amazing. And the nations of them which are saved, listen to me, shall walk in the light of it. The nations of them which are saved. The reading of this description does something to my soul. And I pray it does something for yours. Of all the things of heaven and hell, the greatest the most amazing is not to have a fear of going to hell. I believe in my heart of hearts is to have a love and a desire to go to heaven to be with Jesus. That trumps everything. That is above all that, that there is that we want to be with Jesus, walk with him, live with him, dwell with him here on this planet. And when he calls us home, that we get to be with him forever and ever, never to be separated again. We are with him. He is with us always and forever. That is, that is what life is about. That is the goal of life. That is the mission. 
If we choose to accept it, if we choose to reject it, we can go our own way like Kansas used to sing. But man, we're going to pay a heavy price for denying and rejecting God. Boy, we got a lot to look forward to as God's people. If you'll just close your eyes for a moment, I want to share these last closing truths with you. Heaven will be the future dwelling place of God's people. That we will be home. Home. Heaven will be a perfect place. I've spoken just a little bit about that already. But you can't even imagine the perfection that's going to be there. You're not going to wake up to a flat tire. You're not going to have sick kids that, 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 are, that are struggling and, and you're having to try to take care of them and work and all that. It, it's going to be perfect. Jesus is going to be there. Heaven is the home of God. And it will be our home with God. What a beautiful, beautiful thing. Heaven will be a place of rest. Hebrews 4.9 says, There remains therefore a rest to the people of God when we get home to heaven and the last thing I'm going to say before we pray is this it would be easy to say no matter what make sure you don't choose hell but here's what I want to tell you folks no matter what you don't want to miss heaven for anything or anybody I've seen people walk away from relationships that were causing them to reject Christ I've known people who have walked away from careers and aspirations that were pulling them away from knowing Christ and at the same time I've seen people buy into the fame and the glitz and the glamour and literally sell their soul to become famous. I've seen it. I know it. That they walk away from Christ and His high calling and His great love and the life and the plan that He has for them all because they buy the lie that Satan has more to offer. And I'm here to shout it from a thousand rooftops. Never will he offer anything that comes remotely close to the love and the life and the promises of God for our future and our present. Never. There is nothing, 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 nothing this world has to offer that comes even close to missing heaven for. We've scratched the surface in this two weeks. In this brief look at what hell is and what heaven is. And my prayer is that, that first of all today, as the Word of God says, I set before you life and death, blessing and curse. Choose life. I pray that right now, if you've wavered, if you've ever doubted, if you've ever struggled, if you've ever went back and forth and been up and down, I pray that right now you make a decision. Johnny Cash said years ago, how well I have learned that there is no fence to sit on between heaven and hell. You can't play it both ways. You can't live one foot in 
each kingdom. The Bible tells us that bitter water and sweet water cannot come out of the same fountain. That light and darkness cannot coexist. There is a heaven to gain and there is a hell to shun. So I ask everyone in this room this morning and those who may be watching or listening, not only right now, but later this week, later this month, later this year, what is your choice? If you're in here and you would say, Pastor, pray for me. I choose heaven. I choose heaven today in my life, in my heart. I surrender everything I am to Jesus because I realize he has given everything to purchase my life and my eternity nobody looking around for just another moment if you're in here and you'd say pray for me today that's my that's my choice could I just see your hands very quickly across this room anybody at all thank you anybody else yes anyone else let me ask this second thing who in this room says I know people personally that need Jesus Christ they need to choose life. And I, I have seen their faces. I have I've, I've had their names just swirling in my mind and my heart and my spirit this morning. And I know that God is speaking to me to step up and share more and love more and go more and give more to them and say, hey, I, I love you enough to tell you the truth in love and, and share this glorious good news with you. If, if you're in here right now and you say, Pastor, God's put a burden on my heart for somebody or some people in my life that I want to go to them as a missionary starting today, starting this week. I, I don't want to wait any longer. We want to pray for you that God would send you out in His anointing and His power and His wisdom and His love and His spirit. Can I see your hands across this room if you'd say, pray for me today. That's my heart. That's my desire. Yes, yes. Yes. How many others? Come on. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. God's given you a burden. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Here's how we want to close this time up right now. I want everybody to stand to your feet, whether you raised your hand or didn't, like we did last week. We're going to pray, and then we're going to worship God. But, but I want to invite you to follow through. Those of you that are raising your hand to choose life today, to choose salvation, to choose Jesus Christ as your Savior, your Lord, your everything. We're praying for you. Those of you that are saying, pray for me to be a, to be a missionary to my friends and family members, co-workers, people I go to school with in my neighborhood, whatever it may be. Heavenly Father, we thank you for loving us enough, giving us this incredible gift called life and all the, the wonderful things that come with it. God, how, how thankful we are and how, how much we realize now it is a gift. And we don't want to take it for granted, God. And we want to surrender this gift to you so that you can bless it as your word promised. And you can use it, God, for your glory and your kingdom, God, to reach other people. God, today people have chose life. They have chosen to live for you, surrender to you, God. They are giving themselves to you completely. I know that because I saw their hands and I saw their faces today, God. I know that because we've been praying for them for weeks now that you would come and convince them of who you are and your great love and the life that you have for them. And right now, God, thank you. Thank you for those decisions taking place all across this room, all outside of this room, with people that are surrendering and falling in love with you. Fresh and new. And your glorious salvation. Lord, I also pray for a burden for every single one of us 
that from this moment forward we would see people differently as we talked about a little bit last week but but even more so this week God that we would see them as people that need you as people that are going to spend eternity somewhere as we all will and there are only two choices God there are only two locations and God for those that are on the road to hell that you would raise us up to be missionaries that would go out with a burden, with a heart that beats for you and your people, God. And in the Lord, that we would share the gospel of Jesus Christ. What we've been given, we give away. What you blessed us with, we bless others with, God. Give us that heart. Let our words point to you. Let our testimonies, God, bring glory to you, God. Let our, our, our faith be seen as well as heard. Our love be put into action and not hold back God because the days are drawing close where you're going to split the eastern sky and you're going to call us home so Jesus let us be fervent 